Hey guys, welcome to Dev Dive episode two. I'm here with Riot Nekumaro. He is a senior QA development lead, and I think you do something called script analysis as well. Um, uh, yeah. So <laughs> I'm a, I have a bit of an interesting interesting position at Riot. Um, yeah. My title is senior QA analyst, but I don't do very much QA work nowadays. Um, I am basically responsible for the script quality of League of Legends. Uh, so there's So when you a, say a script a, quality, what does that mean to the layman? So there's kind of like two layers you can think of when it comes to making the game work. Um, there is like engine code, which is things like rendering and particles and how uh like champion movement works things like that uh and that's all written in computer language c++ stuff like that um and then on top of that is the layer that most of the designers interact with which is script um script is usually if you're familiar with like unreal engine uh unity cry engine stuff like that they are done primarily through like visual interfaces like kind of drag and drop change variables uh flow chart sort of thing um, that's uh that's similar to how the sata does there with their creation engine sort of like a, a building block set uh yeah I'm not, I'm not familiar with that one but most likely you're, you're yeah. probably on the right track there yeah. um so i am responsible for making sure that the scripts we have on league of legends are high quality they're like sustainable um which means that if we were to have to come back and interact with this in a year we can do it and it's not going to fall apart um and just that if there are any gaps in the system that we are getting uh we're getting those addressed like if there's something that we have to special case which is kind of a thing you want to avoid where you have to go and write like oh by the way if i'm hitting lux with this do this thing instead because there's some weird interaction uh we don't want to ever do that because it's it's really flimsy right so, so if, that's, if that's we like ever a patch situation, that you would do okay. yeah it's basically yeah. a band-aid so making sure that if we ever have to do that that we are coming back and addressing it later by creating new code but yeah that that's the sort of thing that i need to do nowadays and also just writing a lot of script as well so okay um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. So we the way we're structuring this episode is a little different than what we've done in the past. Um, it's not going to be this sort of live Q&A. We'll have that after the show ends. Uh, me and my uh, co-host Larry, who's been working on this with me, we've actually sort of uh, developed a, a list of questions that we think would be a good way to start um, with the information coming from Jeff, because Jeff is obviously a very knowledgeable person when it comes to this stuff. So his perspective from both a game dev perspective and then also from a player perspective um, is sort of the questions we formulated. So coming from a dev perspective, Larry wants to know, explain like I'm five, what do you do at Riot? So we kind of just covered that with uh, your script analysis. Um, yeah. <laughs> he also, he also wanted to know. Yeah. Oh, no, go ahead. Oh, no, it's, it's basically I work with all of the teams that, uh, uh, comprise the League of Legends development to make sure that whatever they're working on is not going to cause any problems for themselves or others in the future. 
Like that's <laughs> that's kind of the easiest way to put it. You operate the safety net. Uh, more of I make sure people don't fall off the edge. <laughs> You operate the safety there's, railing? There's a lot of... Well, I mean, we, we don't need... Like, we're not walking on the same path. I can't, like, go ahead of them and put the net because they don't even know where they're digging. Like, they're just... They're going and forging the path, and I'm kind of like, hey, 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 whoa, 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 don't... Careful, careful. Don't go into that volcano. Like, go around the side. <laughs> and sometimes um, they're already in the fucking volcano, so I have to throw a ladder down, but... Yeah, and then the ladder gets burned because it's made out of... Wood, and then you got to make a new no, ladder. No, I, I, have the best, I have the best ladders. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, you have, you have quality ladders. <laughs> quality ladder. All right, coming from coming from a player perspective, this is an interesting question. Um, what would you say the the worst slash craziest bug is that you've encountered on League of Legends? Like just something that you would never expect, or anything nutty? Oh, geez. Um. Hmm. Can I think about that one for a bit? Yeah, yeah we can come back to that. that that's yeah, a, that's an encompassing question. Yeah. Um, so th here's a, a probably an easier one. How has mm -hmm. working on League changed the way you actually play the game? Wow, okay. Um, so there are two main things. One, I don't play in my free time nearly as much. And that's not because I don't still love the game, but it's because when you work on the game you're play testing it a pretty good amount like you got to play the game to understand what you're doing and make sure it looks good and make sure it feels good and make sure the champions you're making are fun so already i'm playing usually at least two play tests at work per day so when i get home i got other stuff i want to play uh second i am way better than i used to be way better <laughs> one because I'm a patch ahead, so I know what the good stuff's going to be ahead of time. Two, <laughs> because, again, I play a lot, and I kind of get forced into playing all sorts of different things. Like, especially when I was working in QA, I didn't have a, like, I didn't have a whole lot of choice into what necessarily I was working on, right? So, like, when I was working on the uh, the game systems team for a while, I was working on the mid-season update when we had, like, dragons and stuff. So in playtests for that, I had to interact with plants, dragons, all that sort of thing. And so I was interacting with the systems more. So I got a better idea of like macro gameplay. And then on champions team, I have to be able to play a bunch of different champions. So I'm learning all these different mechanics and stuff. So, and also for a while I would, and it hasn't happened as much lately because they've been better staffed, but I would sub in for the playtest team when they needed people. Um, so after like a little while of getting my ass kicked by those guys, I actually started to play like decently up to their level. Like still, obviously I'm not like a challenger player or anything, but I can, I can go into a lane against uh, like, we used to have like Nick Wu on there uh, and I could not int terribly. So it, you know, they, they kind of beat that into me, which is nice, I guess. <laughs> Trial by fire, improving, mm -hmm. improving through the forge. That's great. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. And I, I think, um, these are questions that we'll we'll probably ask um, everyone who comes on the show, and I think that answer is probably going to be consistent. At least the I play less in my free time now. Um, yeah, I mean, like for for example, like on the on the champions team, like a lot of our designers are. Uh, we kind of run the gamut, right? Like we have we have some designers who are diamond. We have some designers who are like 
I think high silver is our lowest. <laughs> but even then, you just like you just take them out of like you you compare them to another high silver player, like they're they're just much better. They just don't have the time to dedicate, and they yeah. also get better playing. They they don't play as much on the live server, so they're they're practicing elsewhere, sort of way that they they interact there. So it's it's kind of deceiving. Yeah. So bouncing off that, is the meta that you see in internally is that a lot different than some of the crazy stuff that happens out here in in live? Um, no, by necessity. So we need to make sure that whatever we're playing is representative of what a player is going to have. Uh. Sometimes that means that we're going to ignore like really short-term things, like um, we don't do a whole lot of like we we didn't play test funneling right because we knew we wanted to get rid of it when mm -hmm. that was a big thing. Uh, so our playtest didn't respect that because we're like, okay, cool, this champion's coming out in like three months. We don't need to playtest them with funneling because that's not going to be a thing anymore. But we do make sure to have kind of a representative thing. Like when Victor top lane came out, it's like, okay, cool. Like, I don't think we're necessarily going to get rid of this fully. I don't know. It might still be around. This champion's coming out in a month. Might still be around then. So we should probably put it up against Victor top lane just to see what it's going to face uh, when we put it out in the wild. Um, so that, that's, that's the sort of thing is we try to get as close as we can. Um, and we also try to make sure that people aren't playing the same champion over and over. Like, we have a designer on the team who is a Jin main. We don't let him play Jin every game because then all we know is like, oh yeah, how did this AD carry we're making play against Jin? Oh, okay, cool. We have a really, really good idea of that, but we have no idea how he plays against Caitlyn, Tristana, uh, anything else. It's just that. So we, we, we have like some forced diversity as well. Also, they don't let me play Mundo. <laughs> You're barred. Banned for life from Mundo. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Another another bounce off that um, is there anything that you were really expecting to take off in terms of meta and it didn't it just kind of fizzled out it never really it never really became the next big thing. Um, man, you know there was. I'm trying to think of the top of my head. There was some cheesy shit that I thought would be really good and then it <laughs> never really hit the mainstream. Um. Again, a lot of that kind of comes down to is that because we are the only ones in the world playing this before it comes out, right? Like we only have that experience and it's like, oh, yeah, this this thing I thought would be really good. It just keeps working really well. But it's like, oh, yeah, it's just because the other nine people in the playtest don't aren't good at playing the counter to it. And then you okay, let it out yeah. of the wild and it's like everyone else is. So they, it, it, it just turns out to be shit. Um so, so I could see the the limited amount of um, people actually working on that sort of aspect would would definitely make it a little more difficult to figure out like what's actually yeah because you're cheesy. working you're working in a in a very small bubble relative to what's actually going to uh, exist in the real world. Like when you when we released the the champion onto a live server, it has more games in like an hour than it did in the months and months of testing that we had on it. Yeah, it's yeah. insane. Um, I'm looking at like the most recent champions on Lil Wiki right now to try and see if there's anything that I thought would be crazy that didn't turn out. Uh, um, if uh, if I may, yeah. when something 
is obviously so strong or weak that it has to get hot fixed within the very next day or so. Um, is that a, a failing from the playtest team or is that something that you expected and just didn't push to live? Uh, what is the reasoning behind that? Uh, Dark Harvest is a good example. Um, so I, I don't want to say failing necessarily because playtest team, they're like, we can't expect them to be like true data, right? Like we, we, we kind mm. of, we kind of ask their opinions on things and we look and see how it goes in their playtest, but that's never going to be true to life. So we have basically approximation and most of the time those are pretty spot on uh, within like a one to 2% window of what we estimated. Um, Things like Dark Harvest, uh, again, that, that sort of comes into the what I was talking about earlier, where it's like we have this small sample. Uh, we happen to have a lot of people on Plays Team who like didn't optimize Dark Harvest well, or like they were playing well against it, or they didn't play Karthus. Right? <laughs> like that's the other thing is like sometimes sometimes some crazy ass champion comes out of nowhere that nobody plays and it's just like oh yeah this takes a really strong advantage of something we had in development and because that's not something that we are generally testing around because again we're testing around for playtests for example we're testing around things that are already kind of known and in the live environment like if we were to release dark harvest and karthus still had like the same old win rate it probably wouldn't look as crazy um it's still obviously nutty, but you, you get what I'm saying. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it's. I mean, so, I imagine it was something um, because I I followed it pretty closely. I was a a avid user of the previous Dark Harvest, so when it got mm -hmm. reworked, I wanted to see what was happening. And the first version that got put out was um, it was focused a lot more around the stacking damage and a lot less about the base damage. It was. Uh, I yeah. think it had percentage ap and ad on every stack which i thought was gonna be really cool but i didn't i didn't know how strong it would be and it, it mm -hmm. shifted away from that and then I, would, I i was i was pretty reserved on how thought how good i thought it would be and then it came out and everyone was like oh my god this is broken <laughs> yeah i so, mean they're, they're sometimes we're just wrong right like sometimes we yeah. just we have a, uh, uh, an understanding that turns out to be off for some reason or another. Um, I was not working directly with the, uh, the the live team on this one, so I don't know exactly what the what the expectation was. But I mean, it turns out we were wrong. We we adjust. We we take it back and try and make sure we get into a better place. And I do think um, it isn't the worst thing in the world to have these sort of ridiculous things come out and be fun for a short period of time, especially in yeah, something I, like preseason. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. I mean, like, so this, this is my personal opinion, um, mm -hmm. but generally I like it when something comes out and forces its way very strongly into the meta more than when something is kind of like lurking for a while and then slowly yeah. ramps up and then everyone's doing it. Because um, it creates a very like noticeable shift in the game. Yeah, yeah, and it changes how people play. It changes what champions you see, and it creates a very like memorable window. Um, there are times when it goes way too far, like <laughs> the Juggernaut patch or League of Cleavers. Um, yes, yes, I was just thinking about that. League of Black yeah, Cleavers, like, um, Skarner 
Yeah, exactly. So there, there are obviously times where it's like, okay, that's just way too much. But having big shifts, I think, is actually really fun. Uh, I actually, so I loved the period of time we had where there were uh, fighters and mages in the bot lane. Um, and right now we're still kind of back to mages being pretty strong in the bot lane. I don't like the reason, because I think the reason is that AD carries are underperforming, and that sucks, but I would love to see a world where you could pick an AD carry, a mage, or a fighter in the bot lane and have some sort of, like, rock, paper, scissors, but we still have a reasonable and interactive lane for everybody involved, because uh, yeah, I think the game's just more fun that way. It's really interesting, because for the past so... I don't even, I don't even know how long this has been meta you really have never had these types of champions interacting this early in the game before. Um, you had <laughs> short periods of time where there was mages in the support role, but you never really had champions like Ziggs uh, or, or Karthus or um, Branson and off and on, but you never had the, these styles of champions fighting this sort of marksman this early. And yeah. It's really cool to see that being more common, just like more interactions early game. And you saw a little bit with um, top lane AD carries, which was kind of meta for a little while last year, I think. You had like Lucian uh, lane. Yeah, I, I think it was like a... I think it was like two years ago. It was during the it AD might have been, yeah, might have been two years where AD carries kind of spread out into every role. We had like Corky was the best mid laner. Yeah. We had like, I think Lucian top and mid, but not bot lane. And like Kendra Jungle was crazy. Um, it was just a whole bunch yeah, I of think the important, weird stuff. Yeah. I, I think the most important thing, though, is that AD carries get to feel like they still have a lane in the bot lane. Like, if there's an Aurelia in the bot lane, it feels like I can still play this lane and not just get steamrolled by the Aurelia. Or if there's a Ziggs, I can actually interact with the Ziggs and I don't just get spammed with long range spells, which unfortunately has happened in the past, and that's not what. Um. I, w I would love to because I would love to have a day where that's more balanced out because uh, AD carry is like the one position in the game that has never had to play more than one character archetype. Like top lane has had to play everything, jungle has had to play everything, mid has to play pretty much everything. Like even tanks now, support plays uh, like a trifecta of uh, like mage, uh, enchanter, tank sort of thing going on. And AD carry is always over there, just like I right click people. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, what if you had more options? Like, yeah, that's going to be uncomfortable at first because you're not going to know how to play against that Yasuo and he's going to destroy you, but uh, eventually you'll kind of learn it and balance it out and we'll have a more interesting interaction there, hopefully. But And obviously you, are, have, we, you have we, some... We, it's, it's hard to hit. Yeah, you have outliers in, in that role already with uh, champions mm -hmm. like Ezreal and... and um, trying to think of another champion that doesn't just right-click... Another AD carry that was just right click. Good um, luck. Yeah, <laughs> it's it might just be Ezreal, but but that style of uh, lane has definitely been stagnant for a while, and it's fun to see yeah. some different stuff, even if it's at the detriment to certain playstyles. Um, it's nice to be different, at least for a little while. Yeah, um, yeah, because it's more interesting to have. It, it makes your it makes each game a little more unique. So this is probably a good question to ask um, near the start of the stream. What is an aspect of your job that people often misinterpret or misunderstand? Oh, God, all of it. Uh, <laughs> so a lot of the time, uh, 
So I have to say that whenever people ask like what my job title is, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm a quality assurance analyst. Like I can't say QA because they're like, oh, Q and A, let me ask you some questions. I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> that's, that's not what that means. Um, like there's, it, 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 it kind of hurts to say, but like nobody really knows what Q and A does. Uh, uh, God damn it. <laughs> No one knows what QA quality assurance does because like it's not exciting or glamorous. Like nobody cares about like, oh yeah, look at this bug report and I uh, you know, all these statistics we tracked for sustainable development and how well we're trending on our our burn down chart. It's like it's it's not that cool, right? Um But the it's also so so important. <laughs> it's like if you ever see a champion before QA interacts with them, if you were to like try and play that thing, it would fall apart in two minutes. <laughs> two minutes that champion would be non-functional. Just from you pressing buttons doing normal thing. Buying you put a QA a team on it. Just dies. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like weird things happen like that. Like Sometimes developers forget to take out debug things they put in. So like when you dance, it just changes your model into something else because they were testing something. And like, <laughs> well, you forgot to you forgot to take that out. So that weird bug um, where you would whenever you would refund an item, it would um, like take a hundred of your health away or something like that. There was a weird bug like that for a while. Um, wow, I don't know about that one, but yeah, I mean, it, it was it was the, the, the way it used to work was it would reset your status to whatever you were like when you bought the item yeah that, so. that's probably what it was it was it was taking your health away because that's what it was when you bought that item it was really odd yeah um, oh oh you're talking okay sorry you're not talking about max health you're talking about current health yeah no, yeah, no, no, yeah 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 that's that's definitely how it used to work you're your mana too because it's like uh rewind you in time <laughs> uh, for some reason that was easier than just giving the money back like i don't know um yeah, so QA is very heavily involved throughout the process. Like, we're in early meetings kind of pointing out, like, hey, here are some things that you're trying to do that are really risky that have been this in the past. Here's some things you need to do for your timeline. And then we're pretty involved in the process as it goes further on, making sure that everything is staying up to date uh, in documentation, that everyone is on the same page, because it turns out that a lot of the times people don't talk to each other daily and just kind of do things. And they show up a week later and they're like, wait, you, you did that? I thought we were doing it this way. And like, bad things happen there. Um, <laughs> and also just specifically, um, QA is kind of a different beast. Uh, the responsibilities of like an entry-level QA at Riot is about what a QA lead at other companies is doing. Uh, so there's a lot of like interacting with different teams there, um, and a lot of a lot of people also branch out into other roles. Like I work a lot on kind of design and engineering stuff. Um, there are some QA that work on like more art-focused things, like animation or visual effects. Uh, and a lot of people transition into other roles. There's some people focus and double down and go higher in QA. Um, like, if you know Ranger 14, Alex. Um, we actually had him on the show last week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he is very heavily focused on making sure QA is the best that QA can be. Uh, so he has a very different skill set than I do or than uh, some of the other QA people on our team do. 
because we kind of are given the freedom to branch out into things that are of interest to us. And so we kind of have a, a we have a very skilled team of very diverse individuals is kind of how it turns out. Uh, and real it, quick, it creates a pretty um, interesting situation. Could you uh, restart your discord real quick? You're getting a little bit of like mic popping. Uh, it's not obnoxious. Mic popping? Yes, yeah, sure. it, it's like grading out a little bit. It's not terrible though. I don't know if that was uh, transferring to the stream or not. I just wanted to. I was I was trying some things on my end to fix it, and I couldn't quite figure it out. So I wanted to see if it was on him. Oh, I killed him. <laughs> He's not coming back. I offended him. There he is. Howdy. Okay, I'm here. Oh, that sounds that better. That sounds better. Yeah, that's way better. Okay, cool. Right. I shut um, it down and started the whole thing back up. So. What you were just saying, this I think this is a good question to go into that. Um, if somebody wanted to work in QA, what skills, especially at Riot, um, what skills would they need to have? Ooh. Uh, so a lot of it comes down to communication, uh, both written and verbal, because you need to be able to very clearly communicate to another person what a bug is. What, what bug is happening, uh, which can get pretty weird, right? Like when we see a lot of bug reports from people, just players out in the wild, they'll like post things on Reddit or on the boards and they'll be like, oh yeah, when I use this spell, it's kind of clunky. Or like, oh yeah, uh, when I right click in this certain pattern, the champion glitches out. And it's like, okay, that doesn't really point at <laughs> all to what the issue is. It's like, they're saying like, there's a bug. It's like, yeah great that that's gonna be help really hard to actually that uh, yeah that doesn't help the uh the developer at the end of the line actually fix it right so a lot of the times when we see those they're helpful because they point us in the right direction but we have to go in and we have to figure out exactly how to reproduce it and what the actual bug is so how important um, a lot of it comes is, down to how important is reproducing that bug to the whole process is that like the first step or is that like yeah. this is the biggest part it is absolutely one of the most important things, because if you cannot reliably reproduce the issue, then it becomes really hard to track down the root cause. And it also becomes really hard to confirm that it's fixed once you change something. Because you can be like, okay, cool. Uh, this animation bug happens when I cast a queue. I go in, oh, it, it looks like the animation for this file is off. I fixed it. There we go. But <laughs> what if it turns out that because Q can be cast in different ways, there's more than one animation file. Oh no, now it's suddenly wrong in a different way. Um, so knowing exactly how those systems work and just, you don't need, to be QA, you don't have to know how the systems work. You just need to be able to describe what the actual problem is, how to reproduce it, and what the impact of it is. That way the developer can go back. Um, it helps if you know how the systems work. Uh, and if you are working QA at Riot, generally it will be expected of you to learn how those systems work. Um, but you're, you're obviously not going to go know everything off the bat because you never worked in the League of Legends development process before. Um, when I started at Gearbox, uh, one of the things they had me do in the interview was make sure I knew how to plug in a PS3 correctly. <laughs> so they gave me a PS3. They gave me a box of cables, and they're like, "Okay, go ahead and set this up." And I'm like, "That's great." Well, okay. 
So I'm there in my suit and tie. They're all in like t-shirts and ripped jeans and shit. Because uh, so, I, uh, you know, dressed to impress, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Um, so I have to get on the on the like shitty carpet of an of a rented office building down under this like temporary desk and hook up all these files with my tie flopping in my face uh, to make sure the PS3 is working. And then I turn it on. I'm like, okay. They would, you know, been fail this, and they're like, "Yeah," and I'm like, "Okay." It would have been hilarious if there was like something wrong with the PS3, and they're like, "Maybe you can fix this while you're here." (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, because then after that, it was like, "Okay, load into this game we have in development, and start telling me what you would track as a bug." And I load in, and I just turn around, and there's immediately a person standing there with a like checkered box for a head, and I'm like. Okay, bug number one, person has checkered box head. Uh, and so, like, the qualifications to get into entry-level QA, what I'm, what I'm getting at here, are not that high. Uh, to be good at QA is a different matter, uh, because, again, you have to focus mainly on that communication and learning how the systems that you're working in work, uh, which... I mean, it's like a tech background. It's helpful, but not necessary. You can learn on the job. Um, a lot of things like that. Uh, it, de- it depends on where you're starting at. Like Gearbox, um, EA, uh, a lot of a lot of places use like kind of like cheap part-time QA testers, uh, which is where I started out. And while I would never recommend making a career in the the cheap QA market, it can, it can get you a lot of uh, experience to go elsewhere or to move up into other roles. Yeah, I, I imagine. I mean, that's coming from somebody who who's never worked in the game dev scene. Um, that kind of is how it works in a lot of different things. Um, I was a mm-hmm. electrical technician for a little while, and that 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 does not pay very well, and it's a lot of hard work. But if that was something that you were interested in, being an electrician, um, it's a great place to sort of see if that's something that you can actually do. And then mm-hmm. you can move forward into, um, I'm, I'm assuming, as a parallel, you can move up to senior QA or, or being good at QA at a, at a better job. But you could also move up to being an electrician in this field. Right. Yeah, it's yeah. unfortunate for the game industry. QA is actually like pretty significantly behind where it is in other software development. Like actual like software products not not game related um value qa and pay pretty well um mm-hmm. i know there was a um there was a, a studio that made phone apps uh pretty nearby gearbox and a lot of people when they got more experienced at gearbox and uh were more qualified moved over there because they just paid better and they made they made phone apps like it wasn't as fun to work on but they did value the employees so the game industry is steadily moving there it's still like what like 30 40 years old sounds (laughs) like it's pretty old but it's still really young (laughs) compared to a lot of other places yeah especially Um, with these companies that aren't aren't 30 years old they're yeah and also because they're they're run by younger people who don't really understand a whole lot of like the value that QA provides but it's 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 steadily getting better um luckily Riot does value those practices quite highly so 
that's uh, that's encouraging. I'm I'm assuming anyone who is actually interested in getting into that sort of role is going to be very attentive to the things that you've said about it. Um, <laughs> coming back from from a gamer's perspective, a pleb's perspective, um, mm-hmm. if you could if you could change something about League, uh, like majorly, have it have it your way entirely, um, whether it's get rid of a champion or or add an item that you think would be cool or remove an item or something like that, what would you change personally? Uh, I would get rid of Soraka because I think having a dedicated healer in the game is super unfun for everybody involved. Her entire, like, her entire purpose is to undo everything that you just did. And that's <laughs> just lame because she doesn't Dude, even do anything cool to does it. To do I don't it. know. She just um, presses W. Have you ever played Heroes of the Storm? Uh, yeah, actually. They, the whole healer scene in that game is so freaking obnoxious. It's it's, yeah, uh, it's way worse than it is in League. Heroes... Heroes does a lot of cool things, but overall I don't like it very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. It's also, like, I think they're... I think what Blizzard does with a lot of games, and this is, again, this is my personal opinion on it, is that Blizzard tries to make sure that everyone gets to have like the same amount of fun <laughs> which means that nobody feels bad but nobody feels particularly good either they do it with like their takedowns they don't list how many deaths you have or how many kills you have like in heroes you are your team levels at the same time so you never get to feel like oh i'm this fed zed i get to carry the game but you also never feel like you're the oh and 10 zed and you lost your team the game so that's mm-hmm. kind of the trade-off they make i think having highs and lows is a lot better but yeah, I, I, that was pretty much how I felt about it when I played the game. I'm like, well, this is everything about this is cool, but the fact that my individual impact on this game is so much more muted than in a game like League or or even like an FPS, um, it's not as fun for me personally. Yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the takeaway I had as well. But God, they they know how to like. Not not speaking from a design perspective, but from just like a purely uh, engineering, audio, visual, like Blizzard makes a, a freaking amazing game. Like looking at Heroes is so nice. The craziest thing about Heroes is that it's done, and I think this is Hearth- uh, true about Hearthstone too, it's done with the same engine that um, StarCraft 2 is made off of, which is, which wow, is yeah. mind-boggling. <laughs> Blizzard's pretty good at what they do. Yeah. Uh, in terms of like actually shipping products, it's, it's impressive. And I guess I shouldn't be so um, mind boggled by that because the custom scene in StarCraft 2 is insane. Like the products mm-hmm. that people have made out of that dumb game <laughs> are well, actually incredible. The, the fact that Blizzard made a like editor <laughs> shows how good their underlying tech is, that they are willing to release that to the public and the public can make sort of like a modified version of their game and it works and they can be creative with it and they can make like all these crazy things without having to hack the game or anything. It's just insane. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's pretty it, 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 it doesn't sound as crazy to somebody who hasn't worked in games as it does to somebody who has to actually be like, man, if we if we let you in, into League and we're like, yeah, just make a champion. Here's your tools. It's like, what what tools like we, we have enough trouble we have enough problems making champions with the tools that we have available to us like, you get a fork a stick of gum a cd of share 
and <laughs> God, what I would give for a CD of share when I'm making a champion. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah. So, so going back to that, you said you think dedicated healers like Soraka um, are something that you morally yes. disagree with. <laughs> Super duper lame. Um, I used to hate Nunu. Now Nunu's cool, so that's fine. Uh, fucking hate Alawi and Kled. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Alawi's entire shtick is, oh, you've chosen to interact with me. You have made a mistake, and that's just super lame. So the correct response to Alawi is to ignore her, and that's boring as hell. Yeah, uh, I, I saw that I a think, little bit with Akali, too. It's like, just walk away from her. And I'm like, but... <laughs> Akali has like. windows, at least. Alawi's yeah. cooldowns are so low that there are no windows. And also, if you gank her post-6, you're giving her a double kill. Yeah, um, yeah. It's basically... Kled, like the I feel, more, has... Hmm? Go ahead, the sorry. more people you interact with her, the more of a chance it's going to go poorly for you, which is so counterintuitive. Exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, that, that champion's so hard to learn to play against. And it hurts even more because she has a really low play rate, so it's really problematic, which is like lame. But and then Kled, I just hate because he also kind of has the same thing where it's like, oh, it was a trap to interact with him right now because he's just gonna get more rage back and run you over. And also because Kled doesn't get his most powerful ability is his W. Yeah, and like, it's a passive. And he like, doesn't get to control that. Like yeah. you have to choose whether you want to last it or fight. It's really weird. Also, that's um, that's something I thought about Nar for a long period of time, where it's like this is such an interesting mechanic, where yeah, you're trying I think to Nar does it pretty well. Yeah, Kled, uh, I'm not a fan of, mm -hmm. and then this one I think is much more controversial, uh, e even like internally. But I don't really like Orn that much. Oh boy, <laughs> um, not because I think his like kit is bad or anything i think like playing orn is actually pretty interesting but i think that orn his whole thing is like he's a smith right and he can make items and power up your team but the way he does it is so boring and limited because it's so strong it's just like yeah i let your team get a fuck ton of base stats it's like well that's not really like exciting but it sure is powerful so I'm assuming you're you're familiar with the, I mean obviously uh, the Orin mini rework that's happening right now on PBE. Yeah, yeah. Squad yeah. Five is working on that one. I think it's a lot cooler. Okay. Um, I w I mean, doesn't it still kind of have the same issue where your your team's getting a lot of free stats? Kind like of actually um, free stats now. The nice thing here is that it puts a lot of the power back into Orin's hands about how that's happening. He's choosing who's getting the power. It's much easier to follow as an ally and an opponent where that power is going. It's not just, oh, this person backed and decided to spend a thousand gold on a super trinity force. Like, tracking that. How am I supposed to track that? That's like a ridiculous thing to try and worry about. Um, here it's more of like, oh, where's Orn going? Wait, he just showed up in the bot lane. Oh no, he just upgraded their <laughs> Infinity Edge. Like, that's uh, it's at least more interesting. Like, I don't think it's, I don't think it's like the ideal solution for that fantasy of being a super cool Smith Forge God, but I think it's a lot closer to it. And I also think it's just a, it's, it's really, it's a really difficult fantasy to hit again because interacting with items is kind of a math game yeah yeah 
like how much AD, not... how much AP is going to break this? Yeah, it's like, oh, they have a stronger death cap. Like, does that change how I interact with them in any way whatsoever? No, like that's still the same champion. They're just numerically stronger. So anytime you're interacting with those systems, it tends to get a little less interesting. Um, like there, there are some examples of like cooler ways to do this. Like Victor, for example, with his um, augmented or, uh, core, his augmented core, you can kind of get different playstyles. It, it unfortunately tends to boil down to whichever playstyle is stronger. Which at the moment is like, yeah, you take Q and you kite people really strongly. Yeah. Or before it was, oh, you upgrade E and then you wave clear really strongly. Um, it's kind of like Kha'Zix as well. I would love to see a world where Kha'Zix is actually like a meaningful choice. Which one, which evolution yeah. you take and it changes your gameplay. Because right now it's just like, oh yeah, Q stronger, boop. Or like, oh, R used to give you camouflage and it was broken, boop. That's the one I pick. Um, yeah, so, so a way, obviously this is from a layperson, but a way I think that you could fix that is that you could take away, not take away the options, but take away his, his ability to choose all of the options or at least the majority of the options and then focus on improving each option by itself um and that's also a way i think you could make somebody like kaisa like kane kane's a good example of this um kane and rost you choose kane or rost and and you can't you can't be both you can't get q n e and w you can just be rost or kane um yeah i mean you you, you actually kind of have that i would argue you actually have more limitations on Kaisa and Kha'Zix than you do on Kane, um, because Kaisa, for example, in order to get all three, you have to make very specific item choices that generally mm -hmm. aren't worth it. Uh, for Kha'Zix, you have you're going to get three out of four. So right off the bat, you have to know which three you're going to take. Well, actually, you don't have to know off the bat. You just have to know which at the time, but you have you know that you're not going to get all four. Um, and they come at very distinct breakpoints throughout the game. If it has to be, oh, I pick one right now, that means for like the next 10 minutes, I'm not going to have the other three. So I have to like pick which is most important yeah. to me. Um, Kane is kind of a one and done deal that happens fairly early in the game. Uh, Kane is also, I think, a little bit unfortunate because the differentiations he makes are very... One is just, I'm going to snowball a solo queue game. And one is, I'm going to be a reliable champ. <laughs> <laughs> if I Which had to guess, I'm only... going to say that you think red form is much more reliable than blue form. <laughs> uh, a knockup uh, with also just spell vamp from a, a melee champion that's not super squishy is, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say that's the much more reliable. <laughs> I would agree with uh, you. <laughs> Uh, assassin form is betting that you can solo carry the game which if you're in solo queue hey probably like if you're good enough you can do it uh but you're almost never gonna see assassin kane in like organized 5v5 play which might um, be fine right like not everything has yeah to be yeah that's that's pro. that's something actually i was thinking about myself um and i think a lot of people like to throw this around without actually understanding the consequences of it uh, what what is your thoughts on how strong champions are in a lower elo or a solo queue situation versus a higher elo or a competitive situation? Do you think there's a problem with um, how it works? Or so I would say at this point in league's life life cycle, there's more of a differentiation between organized play 
in solo queue than there is between like bronze and diamond <laughs> uh in terms of what champions are going to be viable like you can totally snowball a game on master yi and bronze or diamond if you're good at yi. uh try to do that against a team on comms that built a team comp that is like functional right they're gonna have cc they're gonna have communication they're gonna lock you down you're gonna die you're probably not gonna snowball um that tends to be i think the biggest difference uh and also i think tends to be probably fine uh in terms of like letting that exist because the vast majority of our players are not going to be interacting on comms when they're playing in solo queue uh, <laughs> they're just going to be going in they're going to have their game plan they're going to be playing four other people that have their own game plans like they might be able to get on the same page for some things, but it's not going to be perfect. Um, so having a champion that, like Yi, not Yi specifically, because I hate Yi because he just right clicks on you, uh, but having a champion like Assassin Kane or uh, like a Fiddlesticks, like this sort of jungle Fiddlesticks specifically, like this sort of champion that relies on taking advantage of disorganized play, I think is totally fine. I think that's a valid champion to have in the game even if they never see pro play because i don't think pro play is representative of what you're going to have when you go and play a game of league of legends like yeah. it is the hyper optimized version like pro nfl football is not going to be what it looks like when you go and play a game of pickup with 20 something other friends uh even if you have enough people and you say everyone's in their right positions like your running back is going to do different shit than a pro running back is going to do. Uh, and I think an interesting thing that um, uh, Blue Whale, one of the uh, live designers mentioned recently, speaking to like the power of 80 carries, is that because 80 carries are a low agency role that require a lot of protection, and that that's what he basically posits is the reason a lot of people get frustrated even when ad carries are strong and that's why the ad carry community tends to be very outspoken when ad carries are perceived as weak is because they're low agency they don't get to like decide the course of the game um that most people in league should not be trying to play ad carry like they just shouldn't worry about having an ad carry on their team like the game's probably not going to go to 35 minutes. You're probably not going to get those items. You should probably be playing something else, even before this patch, right? Like, or wh whenever the patch was that um, may just started showing up in the bot lane, uh, which was more predominant with Dark Harvest, but it's kind of been wishy-washy this whole year. But just generally, playing an AD carry successfully is probably not the most optimal game plan for you if you are the average League of Legends player. Uh, that's that's kind of what he was getting at there, is that no, yeah, are going I, to I, be... um, I'm familiar with the post that you're talking to, and I, I definitely agreed with his synopsis from, from... I mean, I'm not anywhere near as good as anyone else in League of Legends. I'm a gold to platinum player. Um, and even I could see that he was probably right when it comes to the fact that this type of champion is just not going to work out in most of your games. So you're probably better off playing Karthus or Brand or whatever. Right. Yeah, which I yeah, I think is pretty interesting, really. It's like, it's a uh, 
it's a much more nuanced example than if you're in bronze, you probably shouldn't play Lee Sin. But it's <laughs> it's the same sort of thing, right? It's like you should take your skill, you should take the skill of everybody in the game with you, you should take the fact that you're not communicating very well, like you're not gonna be able to make split second decisions and rely on your team all up on that. You should take all of that into account when you decide what to play in a given game. Uh, and that's not saying that like, if I'm a Tristana one trick and I'm playing a bronze, like that's not saying I can't carry a game with Tristana, right? It's just saying, hey, if this is your game plan, you need to understand that there's gonna be specific difficulties that you're gonna face that pro players do not face. They don't have this problem. Uh, and you need to work around that. So piggy piggybacking off that, um... What are your thoughts on champions that have such a, a differential between different people who play them? Um, Akali, uh, Azir, Kalista, these champions that are can be very incredibly strong in the right hands, but av on average, they tend to be pretty terrible. Um, what are your thoughts so, on those? So those are the ones that I tend to dislike. So what we're kind of talking about here is instead of having a strategic problem, which is, oh, my AD carry doesn't get enough time to scale up, uh, is a mechanical problem of, uh, I'm not faker, I can't execute that play, right? Like, the, the problem we run into there is that you have a champion whose mechanical intensity is so complex that you have to be so skilled to play them at a good level that we can't allow them to be that good because then they just run over pro play right like azir just ran over pro play for forever because the pros were that good at him they've put that much time and effort into him and also they're just that skilled but you look at him in normal play and like he seems balanced right so the or differential there yeah exactly so the differential there leblanc is another good one uh is that in order for this champion to not just completely run the pro scene by themselves, they have to be kept weak for the general populace. And that's really problematic. That's the sort of thing we don't want to get into. Mm -hmm. um, personally, I think Rise is kind of towing that line, not just because of his like mechanical combos, but also because the ultimate he has is so strong in organized play and like almost useless in solo queue um, that you run into a, a similar sort of thing. Yeah, it, it can become... I, I don't, that's such an interesting problem to have, though. Because obviously you want to have champions that do require some skill to play and do require... Ha like they, they, You feel like you are stronger on that champion than somebody like Garen or Annie, where you have a lot more... I mean, I guess going back to what Beluga said, you have more agency to do right. what you want. But when they get to the point where... 99% of the player base or maybe even higher are terrible at them and they can they cannot play them correctly and then 1% has like a 90% win rate with them there's probably yeah, I mean, something so it's not even it's not even that differential that's that important it's that when a champion has such high agency that they override what everyone else in the game is doing it's like okay if i'm playing azir and if i play azir perfectly I win the game no matter what, like nobody else can fight me here, then that means that his agency is too high. And that means we've kind of entered that area. Um, it doesn't even matter if it's like that hard to pull off. Uh, that's kind of a different layer adding on top of it that Azir also kind of hits into. 
Um, but if you look at Lee Sin nowadays, like Lee Sin used to be considered one of the most complex champions in the game. Nowadays, he's like average, maybe. Like I, like bronze people can do insect like kick flashes, right? Like it's been around for so long that everyone knows how to do it. Uh, so if Lee Sin, for some reason, had the same level of agency, even though he has high mechanic and everyone can do it, he would just be way too problematic overall because he kind of like overrides everybody's interactions. But luckily that's not the case anymore, considering we've like adjusted a lot of what he can do mm -hmm. over the past couple of years. So is there is there a way, and this is going to be obviously a, um, an oversimplification, but is there an easy way to sort of make those champions that have, have that high agency less good in competitive or less good in high low or less good in that that certain person's hand and then better uh. so uh, what you see what i see a lot of from from my perspective is you see a lot of um utility getting removed or or reduced and then you see damages going higher or or base damage is going higher so what the focus tends to be there is that you have to take uh, power out of the unreliable and difficult things to do and put it into the reliable things, the things that everybody can access. The things that are like, okay, Azir's power used to be loaded into... Uh, Azir's power budget used to be budgeted around the fact that he could Shurima shuffle people. Uh, and it was just like super easy to do and then everybody bounced off the wall um, now that they can like get over the wall again that it exists we can put power elsewhere so we can put power into his just like his soldier auto attacks sort of thing so you have basically power that's accessible to everybody and then in order to kind of get like the true power of Azir you can do these other things like the shuffle but instead of going like your win rate going up by 20 percent, it goes up by like 10 percent. so mm -hmm. it's more reasonable because if you're good at a champion you should have higher win rate than the average person like that's just how it works right you're good at the champion you should be winning more um so generally we want that that curve the mastery curve is what we call it of a champion to it, it, well, it depends from champion to champion. Some, like Garen, are more of like a flat line uh, than Azir, which is like kind of a steeper slope. But we want to make sure that that ends up in a reasonable spot where it doesn't just go up like a million percent after you've played 500 games. Yeah, okay. that's um, That actually ties into something that uh, somebody in chat is asking. In your opinion, um, if you wanted to climb in ranks, uh, would you focus more on playing one specific champion or, or role or would you try to spread out what you're doing to learn more about the game so this is conflicting for me because of the type of player i am i play every champion like mm -hmm. i know every champion i've played them all a lot uh that's what i did even before i joined riot um before i joined riot i had every champion unlocked except for fiora and victor <laughs> and i was like 100 ip away from getting fiora victor used to be trash back then um, yeah victor victor's been in the garbage for a long time yeah now he's back in spotlight but um so i swapped around a lot i played a ton of stuff i uh like to learn all the different things but 
I think if you want to climb in ranked, the best thing you can do is main an archetype. Like, pick... Probably pick your favorite champion, and then pick, like, three other champions that are similar to them. And kind of get those into your pool as well. And try to climb with that. Like, at least have a little bit of wiggle room there. Um, because then you can also learn what it's like to play as these champions, so you know how to play against them better. Uh, and that's one of the most important things to know, I think, in League for climbing, is knowing how to play against other champions. And the fastest way to learn that is by playing them. But yeah, kind of slowly expanding outwards, I think, is really good, but make sure you maintain that core. Um, specifically, I think it's easiest to learn a lane and then learn multiple champions in it than it is to learn multiple champions across multiple lanes. So if you want to be a mid lane player, pick like if and, and you really like Lux, right? Like, okay, cool. Play Lux, play Nico, play Zareth, and then also like try and slip a Talon or something in there and start branching out that way. Yeah, learn uh, learn your counter for those champions so you can actually learn how to not lose this hard to that certain matchup. Yeah, exactly. And then if you ever see them, it's like, oh, that person picked Lux. I'm gonna pick Talon, and then I know exactly how this Lux is gonna play because I've done this a million times so i'm just going to take advantage of them yeah i think we i think we share a lot on that i definitely agree with pretty much everything you said um learning how to from a solo key player's perspective learning how to play your archetype for me it's um duelists and, and fighters uh learning what makes you weak against other types of archetypes like control mages or or um heavy kiters is going to be a lot more important than just um, learning every single thing about your champion and learning like what, what the ideal builds are, what the the best passing is. Um, matchups yep. in general are going to be very important. Yeah, because if you are playing against a champion and you know what makes that champion scared, like the thing they want to avoid the most, you know how to better take advantage. Yeah. Yeah, well that was... um. It was great, actually. I feel like we got a lot done there. Um, so Larry wanted to know, <laughs> going back to, to going back to the <laughs> game dev perspective, he said, uh -huh. um, "Every studio has some sort of QA. What makes your role so important in the game or to game development?" So, um, actually, we probably went over this, but but let's let's do a recap. Uh, just talking about what makes QA important. Yeah, what what makes QA that obviously it's a lot more important to something like League of Legends than it would be to um well I guess I don't know it's hard to say I want to hear your perspective. Uh, I, I would say QA is pretty integral to anything you're working on um basically we are the closest thing the game has to like an end user player before it goes out. So we are going to make sure that whatever you see at the end of the day is going to be playable and enjoyable, honestly, uh, because we are empowered to give a lot of feedback as to like what we enjoyed and what where we got bored or what we didn't really understand and want to play much with. Um, that varies from studio to studio at gearbox i was not supposed to give my opinion i was only supposed to report the facts but that's okay because i knew the the 
Gmail accounts of the developers. So we just talked uh, through uh, Google Chat. <laughs> I just gave my opinions <laughs> that way. Um, very under the table. But um, yeah, so it's it, we're, we're kind of like the voice of the player in a lot of respects. Um, and then it's just, you know, making sure that whatever goes out the door is the highest quality possible. Uh, because when you have so many people working on so many things at once, like yeah, everyone's human, they make mistakes. Uh, and also computers are not human. They will take whatever you give them and make it reality. So sometimes there are things we didn't account for that the computer did, and that's problematic. So we got to watch out for that as well. Mm -hmm. And yeah, uh, there, there, there's a lot that goes into it. <laughs> and you were saying um, um, at Gearbox, uh, you definitely didn't have as much freedom or, or uh, opinionated power as you do as Riot. So that goes nicely into our last question. What do you think sets Riot's QA apartment or QA department apart from other other companies? Uh, I'd say Riot definitely gives their QA a lot more they empower us a lot more to make sure that everyone can be proud of what we are releasing. Um, we have a lot of say into what decisions are made. Um, like we can't, we obviously can't go and be like, oh yeah, that thing you're designing, I think you should do it this way instead. Right. But we are able to give our feedback very openly uh, we are able to have insight into all aspects of the development process uh, and therefore we're, we're very well informed about everything that's going on and uh, are able to help make those decisions. Um, and uh, most importantly, I think we're kind of given the freedom to pursue our own interests, to grow in different areas, to develop different expertise. Um, that's how I ended up in the position I am today of doing QA but not really <laughs> type of work uh, where I'm more of an engineer than a QA at this point but I, I got there because I was given I, I was encouraged to go and kind of learn about things that I thought were interesting that I thought were cool like I wanted to learn how to program champions so I went and learned it and now I do it full time um, and we have a lot of examples of people like that. We have people, we have VFX artists, we have animators, we have designers. Um, the lead designer on uh, the live balance team used to be QA. Uh, one of our champion designers. Is there just one? I think just one of them right now used to be QA uh, at Riot. Um, two of our live designers used to be QA at Riot. Uh... couple of our engineers like uh, it, it's it's pretty crazy how many people kind of like pursued their own ambitions and interests while they were working in QA and managed to transition into other roles because of it um, and then also we have people like who are running the QA department now who um, the, the lead of QA actually right now uh, started at the same time I did because they, they obviously started in a higher management position than I did, but they've been 
uh, that that's been their focus. It's been they wanted to move into management, so that's where they are now. That's incredible. I I really like the fact that you're not sort of stuck in any sort of position. You can you have some sort of lateral movement in a company mm-hmm. like that. That's very encouraging. Um, I'm assuming anyone who who is interested in working at Riot or interested in working in game development as a whole uh, probably really likes to hear that because they don't they they yeah. might not want to work in one department forever they might want to spread out um yeah and that that used to not be very common in most game studios i i, I still don't think it is i think riot's still kind of like on the forefront of that but i i think the industry is growing and i think they're learning a lot of things and i think that it's becoming more accessible uh overall as time goes on that's awesome um okay <laughs> So going back to going back to my perspective as a as a consumer um mm-hmm. well we actually we know we know over most of these so how important to you is other people's perspectives um on your work so obviously as a as a script engineer you're making this product for for a very large group of um people is it do you get a lot of feedback on that or are you kind of just blazing your own path and, and figuring it out? Uh, feedback from who necessarily like uh, other writers or like community? Well, or? well, if you were making, I'm having a hard time articulating this. If you were making something new, um, for example, if you were making a new system to chest the new form of CC or something like that, um, mm-hmm. how important are, the people who are designing that CC, like, do they give you a lot of feedback or are you kind of just working with them and trying to figure out how that's that's going to work? Um, it, there's definitely a lot of communication both ways. I'm not sure I would, like, necessarily say f- feedback um, mm-hmm. unless, like, it doesn't work. Like, then, then the feedback is, like, fix it. Um, <laughs> but there's a lot of, like, hey, what, what sort of things do you need to be able to adjust for this to be good for you? Like... Do you need to be able to tune this specific number? Like, how, how many variables do you do I need to give you? Because um, sometimes they want to do something like, oh yeah, and I want to slow the rate at which like a certain animation plays when you're under this effect. And it's like, oh well, we didn't account for any animation stuff. So okay, cool, I'll go and add that. Um, or hey, I want this to interact with this other type of CC. Way it's like, oh well cool now i need to create a system to interact with all ccs because i don't want to just special case special case it and add just like oh hey by the way if you interact with this thing do this it has to be a way of like okay this is something this is a system that we can build on and continue to interact with in case we add another cc someday and we want it to do something here uh so getting a getting an idea of what they want to do, what what I've made for them already is doing well, what it's lacking, what other like dream ideas they might have in the future that I can go ahead and like get a jump start on is really important to make sure that whatever I eventually put into the code is going to meet their needs in the future. Because once I've finished up a project like that, it's hard for me to go back and, you know, make big changes because I've already moved on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So what do you think um what do you think something is, what do you think is something that somebody misses when they play league 
and they they are picking it up they're they're playing it and they are liking the game they figure out on the champions do you think there's something that most people miss and they don't they don't really realize what's going on um like uh they they're playing a certain type of champion and they're like wow that guy killed me that guy's really op do you think they're need to learn I don't know, it's hard it's hard to okay let me rephrase this question actually mm-hmm. the way i have it written down is what is something that most players miss when they play league um bad macro champion kit details uh sleeper op things stuff like that um do you think that's actually very common or do you think most people are pretty up to date with what's happening um I think most people have a general understanding at this point when you've been playing for a while. Like as a game ages, like it, it the, the player base obviously goes up in skill uh, because they've been learning things. Everyone's been playing for longer. Like <laughs> it's hard to know exactly how much because there aren't very many games like that anymore, or like there never have been. Like the original StarCraft, like Counter Strike, those are two of the only games that have been around for long enough to really kind of understand how that ages um but i would say a lot of people kind of i think tempered aggression i would say is how i would phrase it of like knowing what fights are good for you mm-hmm. and knowing when to be scared and when not to be scared like i see a lot of people that just like are willing to take whatever fight without thinking of the consequences of it it's like Oh, this dude is fighting me right now. Haha, I know I win. Wait. <laughs> that seems obvious to everyone. Why is he fighting me right Why now? Why is he fighting me? What's going on in Baron? What's going on on Dragon? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there, there's a lot of, like, thinking beyond the consequences of the fight as it's happening right now tends to be something that is very difficult to learn. Like, it takes a lot of playing um, and also tends to be very influential. Like, if you learn that and you master that, you're going to climb a lot faster than if you master, like, various other aspects of the game, mm-hmm. honestly, because it can give you a big advantage that then helps you kind of control the rest of the game. So going into That's that, my you, personal would, opinion on it, but. you would think personally that macro is more important than, than micro, uh, learning learning when to do what, what to do when, where versus, um, like, actually learning champion stuff kind of like there there there's some form of micro in this as well right it's like Mm. can i win this fight in the first place like you need to understand that uh i I would consider that to be micro in that like can i 1v1 a trindamir successfully uh that that doesn't really like the the state of the macro game doesn't really care that much about that um in terms of that second of fighting so I, I think you need to learn a little bit of both there, but it's like focusing in different areas of micro and macro. Um, champion interactions is probably the biggest one there. Because uh, like, it doesn't matter how many dragons the other team has if you know, you're taking advantage of their absence or you're still winning fights in side lanes. Um, it depends based on the role as well. Like I think this is probably most important with jungle in kind of understanding what the flow of the map means to you. Um, But it's very important for every lane as well. Uh, It's weird because it's kind of like a game sense that you build up over time that in the the heat of the moment, 
you probably couldn't explain why you feel a certain way, like why you feel like, hmm, I have a bad feeling about this play. But if you were to like pause it and look at it, you'd be able to point out exactly why. It's like, oh, I haven't seen the Zed in the last five minutes. Like, <laughs> that's probably why I feel pretty bad about this engage. Uh, so it's building up that sense, I think, is going to serve you very well as a player. Yeah, and, and there's, then I don't the, think there's the other, any real shortcut for that. It's just you kind of yeah, have to just play. That's that's the hard thing too, right? Because like the other stuff is easy to learn. Like it's it's pretty easy to learn. Oh hey, we just watched their bot lane recall. We should take dragon. Like that that's a very easy flowchart, right? Um, but understanding when you should fight the enemy bot lane is much more difficult to yeah. understand. Which, I mean, there's there's no... If people ask for, like, shortcuts of, like, the easiest way to, to climb and stuff. And, like, mm -hmm. yeah, you can give them these tips about taking objectives or pushing lanes or, like, which champions to play. But the game sense is always going to top all of that every time. Right. Oh, what are general tips you would tips give someone <laughs> who wants to get slightly worse at the game over time? I would recommend that you tune in to twitch.tv slash Nighthawk20,000 and Absolutely. watch every day. I give the worst advice. You'll get you'll get worse, not just slightly, but majorly. That's impressive. <laughs> um, okay, so lastly, before we go back to, to our original question, um, is there anything right now that you think is overrated or underrated in terms of champions, items, strategies, that kind of thing? Um... I think people are still kind of over-exaggerating about the state of 80 carries. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that's kind of always the case when people are like, oh no, this class is so broken, or this class is useless. It's like, 80 carries are always going to be good. They're always the best characters in taking towers. They're always the best at taking objectives. They're not the best at fighting people. And that's what people say when they feel weak, right? It's like, yeah, I, I can't fight this other person with an 80 carry. And I'm like, you're correct, but you're going to win more games with an 80 carry because you can fight that tower and that's all that actually mattered. Um, so I would say that, that like the power of 80 carries is definitely underrated. I would say what most people are critiquing when they say that 80 carries are weak is they're fun. <laughs> Yeah. Like, I think AD carries are less fun right now because you don't get to do PvP as much. And PvP is the most fun thing. You don't see the Vayne uh, tumbling in 1v5 and getting a pentakill quite as much anymore. Right. Uh, so, yeah, obviously, fighting enemy champions is more fun than right-clicking towers. Um, things that I think are overpowered. Over overrated. Over, overrated. Um... I mean, the crazy thing right now is Karthus, but that's not overrated. That's actually broken. What do you uh, think about um, the Victor top craze when it was strong? Do you think that was kind of just... Because you saw that a lot in pro, but you also saw it mm -hmm. a lot in solo queue. Do you think it was more of just a, a fad in solo queue because pro players were doing it? or? Um, Honestly, I think that sort of thing is probably better in solo queue than pro. Like... <laughs> The, the fact that Teleport was the most taken summoner in top lane for years in outside of pro play, I think it's just wrong. Like, I'm pretty sure you're going to win more games with Ignite. Like, I, no offense, average player, but you don't know how to use Teleport. Like, that's nowhere that's, near that's something that I really liked um, about this new change to Teleport, 
where they said no more canceling. So, so many people are just like t saying, fuck teleport. I don't want to take this anymore. I'm just going to go ignite. And it's actually God. really, really good. <laughs> I hate it because I actually play strategic tanks in the mm -hmm. top lane. So I hate playing against ignite. But well, it's, it's turned every champion overall. into like Urgot, where you, if you're lower than this percent health, you have to be very, very careful because you're oh, yeah. one trade away from dying. Yeah, Ignite is uh, risky. Zed buffs. Zed is the, one of the strongest mid laners for the pat several patches. Uh, anyway, I, I, um, no <laughs> <laughs> I have data. <laughs> um. Yeah, okay, so so I'm not sure. We've been keeping you pretty busy, but the first question we asked, um, what's the craziest bug you've encountered working at Riot? Working oh, at yeah. Riot? Um, man, whenever you say that, my mind always goes back to him. This is something that uh, Q Karoon posted on his Twitter a long time ago. But there mm -hmm. was one where, like, Garen would dance and his sword would just appear inside of his head. Uh... <laughs> That one always makes me laugh. It's not the craziest bug I've ever seen, but it's a pretty funny one. Um, <sighs> gut feeling. Craziest. Doesn't have to actually be like the the number one craziest. I mean, it's like it sucks because my view of crazy is different from the average player's view of crazy. Um, there was one time I accidentally introduced a bug for Shinjao. Uh, that lowered his win rate by like a big amount. I don't want to say how much, but a big amount. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, man, that was crazy. Uh, what, uh, I shouldn't. Do you want to say what the bug was? Or was this recent or is this like? It was a couple of years ago. Uh, oh, it was okay. back when like Static Shift came out because I had to. Basically, the problem was his Q was done in such a way that it didn't interact well with auto attack items like Static Shift. Mm -hmm. So I had to. Uh, Rescript it, and I'm still not willing to take full blame on this one because it went through QA, <laughs> and I told them to make sure that it had the same same effect as live, uh, and it still slipped through. But uh, so wait, what was, what was the bug? It wasn't procking static shift. Uh, it was no, it was it was it was a bug with the Q itself. The Q was having, uh, it wasn't resetting the timer appropriately when you would auto attack people. Oh, uh, okay. So it was running out too fast, and people weren't able to get knockups on it. Uh, we fixed it like immediately, but <laughs> the like the win rate report came out for that patch, and Xinjiao was uh, way lower than before. And I'm I'm just looking at it like, oof, <laughs> I did something wrong. I don't know what, but <laughs> so I had to immediately try and figure that out. It turned I, out to I, be a pretty easy fix, but still. I think that was pretty much everything um, I had prepared. We did such a good job at segueing from question to question. I feel like we answered multiple questions in one one big section. So thank you so nice. much for uh, your time. I really appreciate it. Um, this is probably going to be the end of the the show, this part of the show. Um, if you're willing, I'd love to have you stick around for a QA with the chat. Um, I know we have some people in here who are interested in that. Yeah, um, yeah I can stick around for a bit. All right. Awesome. So thank you for coming out, everyone who came to watch this part of the show live and who is watching later on YouTube or whatever 
uh, way you're watching this in the future. We're going to be having more guests. Um, we have some lined up. I don't know if I can actually give away who they are yet, but stay tuned on my Twitter, on Larry's Twitter, which I'll show right here. Uh, we'll be announcing uh, future guests. I think that you guys, if you're familiar at all with the riot scene, you'll probably recognize a couple of the faces um, coming in the future. So I appreciate everyone who came out. This is a work in progress, so this is something that we want to keep improving. So if you have any feedback, please um, let us know, whether it's on Twitter, um, in the, my Discord, which you can find at discord.gg slash Nighthawk, or any way you can get in touch with me. Um, I'd really like to keep keep this thing improving over the course of the next few weeks and then settle on something that we find that is the best that we can do. And uh, just thank you so much to everyone who came out. And thank you again to Jeff for dedicating this hour and a half of his life to uh, answering my silly questions. <laughs> so, thanks a lot, guys. And let's move on to the 